Before we dive into the message here, just a brief update on the mold remediation process in our church building. Uh, test results are to be coming in next week after these work these weeks of, uh, of work being done in the building. And those results will determine our next step, which of course we will communicate to you. Uh, thanks again for your patience, for your understanding, uh, for your prayer, of course, and for your giving in uh, helping to address the financial side of, of this. Uh, and, and also when uh, we communicate uh, to ask you as a church family to come together and help in uh, prepping the building, cleaning the building, uh, setting up and so forth uh, for our first uh, Sunday gathering, thank you in advance for your uh, eyes on that and your involvement in that. So we continue today in our eight-week series through the awesome chapter of Romans 8 that we started last week. Today, Romans 8 on the battlefield of the mind. Romans 8, 5 to 11. Let's read. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we simply ask, to have you guide us in your word now, we pray in Jesus' name. During my preparation for this message, I, I, I took a different turn than I anticipated weeks ago as I divided up Romans 8 into various sections uh, for the purpose of walking through verse by verse each of those passages week by week. I, I got held up by the phrase enmity with God in verse 7 that we just read. And so we're going to be taking the lion's share, actually, of our time today to address a current cultural example of that phrase, which will mean skipping over a few of the other verses in this passage. So just a heads up. In last week's message, uh, verses four to, or, sorry, verses uh, one to four, uh, we were introduced to this dichotomy of uh, living according to the flesh or living according to the spirit, as in the Holy Spirit uh, that takes up residence within the Christ follower when that person uh, repents of their sin and, and surrenders to Christ. Right at the beginning of this passage, Paul talks about the role of the mind and how it informs how we live, either, again, in the flesh or in the spirit. And in these verses uh, that we just read, Paul unpacks these two options for us in a little more detail. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, capital S, spirit of God, the things of the spirit. Living according to the flesh is living that takes its instructions 
from the sinful nature that every one of us are born with. Living according to the Spirit is living that takes instructions from the Holy Spirit within us as Christ followers. So, two ways of living. One that is destructive and eternally detrimental because it pulls us away from our loving Creator. The other is the place of love and joy and peace, life and peace in the Holy Spirit. Uh, one that uh, allows our, uh, our actions, our words, our thought patterns to be influenced by the sinful and selfish ideas that can so easily occupy our mind. The other is the place of full surrender to the, to the control of uh, the loving Spirit of God who, as our Creator, has laid out the very best way for us to live. Our minds are the, are the place where the, the, the seeds for, for both ways of living are watered. Those seeds are watered. They're cultivated by what we allow our minds, uh, what we allow into our minds, and what we allow uh, our thoughts to be occupied by. The Faith Partner Bible, about this phrase in verse 5, uh, set their minds upon, states this. The Greek word rendered set their minds, includes a person's will, thoughts, and emotions. You see, our lives will be governed by what we think about, uh, what is allowed to occupy our mind, by what we allow to influence our emotions, uh, information we allow to, uh, to inform our, our thinking. The New Testament is clear about this, about the role of the mind and how the mind must be guarded and filled with the truth of God's Word. The reason that our minds are a, battle, a battlefield, literally, between good and evil is because Satan wants the control and he'll fight hard to get it because he knows that if he can influence the mind, he will be able to control the behavior and a person's passions and ultimately their eternal destination, our, our choices. And thus our lifestyle will drift toward the direction of the thoughts that we allow to dominate our minds. If our mind is constantly uh, you know, thinking that we'll have more joy, I'll be, I'll be happier if I have more stuff, then the seeds of materialism and greed will grow in our lives. And then credit card uh, debt will, will grow, and obviously the stress and trouble snowballs. Uh, if our mind is constantly ruminating over the mistreatment of others against us, or the perceived mistreatment in our, in our pity party sometimes, then, then inappropriate anger will, will, will churn within us and eventually spill out in relationally destructive ways. If our mind is consumed with thoughts uh, of, of sexual Im impurity, the outcomes will eventually impact our lives and the lives of others in, in de uh, devastating ways. However, if our mind is set upon God's incredible compassion, as an example, shown to us in so many ways, then our lives will be marked by that same compassion generously 
displayed toward others. Or if our mind, if we, if we discipline our mind, if we choose to have our minds filled with gratefulness and we regularly contemplate God's amazing grace and forgiveness toward us, then our life will be characterized. It will. Our life will be characterized by a willingness to, uh, to forgive others in a Christ-like way when they let us down or when they mistreat us. There, there are just so many examples of uh, the domino effect, both positively and negatively, regarding the role of the mind in determining where our lives go, uh, thought by thought, choice by choice, action by action, and they're all related, starting with the thought life and the mind. So it's, it's these realities that are the reason God saw fit to lead Paul, uh, same author, different book, to write to Christ followers in Philippians 4.8. He said, brothers and sisters, in Christ, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Again, verse 5, two ways of living contrasted according to the flesh or according to the spirit. How can we know which way we're going to consistently live? Well, again, assess what your mind focuses on. And there's your answer. Things of the flesh or things of the spirit. It's what, it's what Proverbs 23.7 also refers to when, uh, when Solomon wrote, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We become what we think about. And the discipline, and, and that's what it is, uh, the, the discipline of what we allow to come into our minds and to occupy our minds is, is the determining factor of whether we consistently honor God in, in, our, in our life, in our speech, in our words, in our, in our actions, or not. Moving on, verses 6 and 7, Romans 8. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God or, or the ways of God, nor indeed can be. Again, the, the, the battlefield is in the mind. It refers here to the phrase carnally minded. That's the, that's the mind that is governed by the, what the Bible calls the flesh or the, the sinful nature. And, and that's death. God says, spiritual death, as in it, it, it kills any relationship with God and ultimately leads to eternal death, eternal separation from God, our loving creator. And that, that's a tragic outcome that breaks God's heart. On the other hand, to be spiritually minded is, as we read, life and peace. I mean, those, those sound good. <laughs> they are good. They're gifts from God as we focus on him and surrender our heart and mind and life to him. So being carnally minded also is allowing our mind and, and thus our life to be governed by human wisdom, which is a life of being deceived into thinking that I know best about how to live. I know best about how to direct my life. I can be the only one fully in charge of my life. And that posture, in and of itself, is actually adversarial toward God and his loving desire for our lives as his human creation. 
You see, people, people who are convinced that, that they are the God of their lives uh, can't, can't stand to be reminded that they are actually not. If we allow our sinful or carnal nature, as, as Paul uses the term here, if we allow that part of us to dictate our way of thinking and living, Paul says that's a life that is enmity with God. That's, an, that's a word that we don't use a lot, but the, the New International Version uses the word hostile, hostile to God. That's a, that's a pretty, uh, pretty strong word, pretty harsh word actually. Hostile to God. It's a mind and a life that will soon become actively opposed to God and to his uh, all-wise design and, and plan for our lives. And the source of all that hostility comes directly from God's enemy, Satan. Satan, who, who is not a fictional character, my friends. You see, everything that God has designed for our good and our fulfillment, Satan wants to twist and does twist and pervert. You see, Satan was originally created as an angel in heaven named Lucifer. Once a beautiful name. But then Lucifer decided that he would do a better job of being on God's throne than God himself. Now, keep that in mind as we move through the next several minutes of this message. Keep that in mind, this idea of, of, of replacing God as God, okay? So Lucifer, he, he got the boot out of heaven along with some of the angels that were you know, backing him. Uh, and as a result, to this day, we are, we are affected by that. To this day, until God says, enough, and, and he will. But to this day, we have Satan and his demons messing things up and working to distort and dismantle every good thing that a good God created for our good, his human creation, as I said already. Hostile toward God and his ways. That absolutely describes this culture, this society. And yet, you know what, as you think about it, every, every culture that has existed in this broken and sin-marred world has been opposed to God and his plans in, in various ways and, and probably to varying degrees, of course, but but that's true, still. It's interesting to read Isaiah. Almost 3,000 years ago, he wrote words that could have been written yesterday. Isaiah 59, 14 and 15. Our courts oppose the righteous, and justice is nowhere to be found, he wrote so long ago. He, he said, truth stumbles in the streets, and honesty has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. <laughs> 2023. Eh? God cares about justice, by the way. Hostile toward God. Romans 8, 7. We, we have a culture that is all of that and more. A current example in our society that I felt prompted to take some time to talk about in this message is the transgender movement. And as I talk about this, please, please, uh, first and foremost, hear uh, that what I say, I, I say with God's deep love in my heart. I say it with sincere compassion for those who are, who are genuinely trying to, to figure things out but are 
struggling in their minds with a, a very fundamental element of who they are. And if that's you, God loves you. Our church loves you. And we are absolutely convinced that how God created you, whether male or female, is the very best way to live. And no matter what your inner struggle is, no matter what, what it is, the incredible life and peace that you are longing for, and that is referred to, again, here in Romans 8, 6, is found only as we surrender fully our heart, our, our, our struggles, our, our, our sin, our failures, our, our whole life, our thinking, our eternity. Surrender wholly to God, completely to God, and to ask Him to guide us in His design for our living. Here's the crux of the matter about transgender ideology. It claims that we, as mere mortals, as uh, broken and fallible human beings, have authority over our lives, that, that we have ultimate authority over our lives, when actually that is only God's authority to possess as our designer, as our creator. Transgender ideology claims that we have the power to change who God created us to be. It replaces God in his role as God over our lives. And, and I understand many people don't care about that, but, but it's still true. And yet many others do care about that, both Christ followers and, and many who are not. You cannot be a Bible-believing Christ follower and, and buy into an ideology that removes God as God and thus attacks his wisdom, his, his sovereignty, his, his loving design for human living and flourishing. It's not possible. Uh, sorry, Psalm 139 reminds us that God determined who we were even before we were in our mother's womb. And then, and then he lovingly watched over us and, and watched us with joy as we formed and grew there in our mother's womb. And that statement itself gives big insight. That passage of scripture in Psalm 139 gives big insight into why abortion is so terrible in God's eyes. If transgender identity is your struggle, I, I say it again loud and clear that God loves you and so do we. And our, our loving, all-wise God wants you to discover uh, his best way of living in this broken world by, by embracing who he made you to be. He wants to, he wants to bring truth and clarity if your biological sex seems confusing to you. And in, in this discussion, please remember that it is, it's completely possible to genuinely love and respect someone and still hold a, a different opinion. That was the case throughout human history, really, up, up, up it seems up until recent times for some strange reason. And for Christ followers, 
That opinion is not our own. It, it's informed by scripture. It's based on what the Bible says, God's word we believe the Bible to be, what it says from God's loving heart for all of us. And yet, with a firm opinion that is informed by scripture, we can still, and we do, still genuinely love the individual. As Christ followers, we must do so. We must, we must love and respect everyone because that's what God calls us to do in order to reflect his love and, and grace to people that he created. No matter our differences in ideology or in anything, loving people will, while, loving people while still proclaiming God's truth on all matters of life. The two are possible. As a matter of fact, we love people too much to not tell them the truth. The, the, the truth that living in line with how an all-wise and all-loving God created, created them is the, that's the place of fulfillment and contentment and, and joy in life and, and peace of heart and mind. These things that, that you're striving for in life, in your living, I'm sure. And about this issue, Belief in God aside, scientific evidence, it's clear that people cannot change their DNA or their sex, no matter what drugs are put into their body or what surgery they have. You see, our, our culture even has taken this to a whole other level where children are being harmed psychologically and physically because of a wrong message given in our society. That if you act outside of common uh, cultural stereotypes of how little boys or little girls should act, that they must have been born in the wrong body. What, what, what an abusive thing to say to a child or, or to anyone that they were born wrong, basically calling them a, a mistake. My friend, God does not make mistakes. An all-wise, uh, all-loving, all-knowing God, creator that he is. He does not make mistakes. So the, the body positive message that we need to be sending is that there is no right way to be a boy or a girl. If, if a girl wants to climb trees and throw a football, then she's still 100% a beautiful girl that God created. A whole other disturbing part of this discussion is related to doctors giving puberty blockers to elementary age children in some cases, or doing certain surgical procedures on underage teens under, under the guise of affirming care. It's a travesty, actually. It's something that we need to be voicing our concerns about with our politicians in a, in a firm, but in, of course, in a kind and Christ-like way. Orthodox priest, Bishop Irene of London and Western Europe said it well. I can't remember the last time I quoted a, uh, an Orthodox priest, but, but uh, here's what he said. Identity is the heart of modern secular discussion. It's all about defining who I am. That's precisely the problem, he says. In other words, I define who I am. He writes, or he says, we're taught in this secular society that sexuality and gender can be divorced from biological reality, and therefore there are almost an infinite number of possibilities of who I can define myself to be. We're taught that in this 
happiness is found. But the scriptures, he says, which is the word and authority of God, has something different to say. He goes on to make the solidly biblical point that we don't define our identity. We don't define our identity. God is the one who defines that and has previously determined that, actually. And for anyone who may be struggling with this, God is there. God is there to help you in that struggle. And, and, and so are we. One's decision to identify as the opposite sex or, or some made-up gender or, or a furry or whatever doesn't, doesn't make it reality. God wants to bring reality, and in that, there's wholeness and health, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. All of this really goes back to our first human parents, Adam and Eve, who chose to, uh, to do their own thing, and they, they usurped God's role as the supreme authority of their lives and their choices, if you read the early chapters of Genesis. And their choice to disregard God's direction was was essentially all about self-definition, actually. And doing that, that, that will always, doing that, sorry, will, will always create sorrow and, and pain and confusion because we're created to be under God's loving leadership. That's how we're wired. He, he put that within us. But all around us, there's much evidence of the modern obsession with self-definition. And yet, Again, this, this self-definition is also ancient because from the beginning of human history, we as human beings have, have rejected many times God's design for how uh, we want to live our lives in a multiplicity of ways because, because we, we choose to believe the lie of the enemy, uh, Satan, our enemy, God's enemy, our enemy, Satan, when he whispers, does God really say, did God really say that? Does God really know best? Come on, it's your life. Those lies. Our culture says, be who you want to be. But what's the result? And again, the bishop points to the current reality that we will, or that we live in a time when more people and more young people are, are, are more depressed than ever, uh, on more anxiety medication than ever, uh, more suicide than ever. The scriptures offer the right and most healthy way to live of true life and peace. And, and that is to be humble and open enough to allow God to free you from the uh, I identify as trap and rather embrace who he, who he, your creator, defines you to be. That's his decision. Parents, you need to be talking to your kids about this. And as a matter of fact, I think we're, we're past time that we gave opportunity in the context of our, our church here for Christian parents to group up and, and talk about this stuff and learn from God's word and learn from one another about how to parent in a loving and wise way in this culture as, as Bible-believing Christians for the sake of our children. Let me know if you want to be a part of that. We could certainly also talk about the area of sexuality in a broader way here in this passage in terms of hostility toward God, but due to lack of time, I'll only say this. A culture that is hostile toward God, again, Romans 8, verse 7, is a culture that 
again, replaces God as the authority. Replaces God as the authority on how sex is to be experienced and enjoyed. Sex is a gift from God. That may be news to some of you, but it's true. He created it. He knows where uh, the ultimate fulfillment and enjoyment of that gift is experienced. And that is within what he has designed, a committed marriage, a covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Anything outside of that, God clearly describes as sin against God and thus is detrimental spiritually and otherwise to the individual who, who pays no regard to God's design and God's plan for his good gift of, of sex. We need to wrap up. And so let's skip to uh, verse 11 and conclude by reading that. Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Christ followers, those of you who are, aren't you, aren't you grateful for that life given to us by what Jesus Christ did for us in his death and resurrection? I'm sure you are. For others of you, that's the life that, that you desire. You, you sense that even as you listen today, this idea of true life, true living, and peace in this challenging world, lived only through a relationship with the God who created you. You, you. you sense somehow, you don't maybe understand it all, but you sense somehow that that is exactly what you need and you, and you want that. But you haven't known how to take hold of it or, or to experience it. The answer simply is found in surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, talking to God. You don't have to kneel down and close your eyes. I mean, you could do that if you want, but talk to God, he'll hear you. Say, God, I wanna follow you. I wanna surrender my life to you. I turn from my old ways. I, re I repent of my sin. That, means, that just means that word repent just means to turn and go the other direction, going God's direction and saying you wanna walk and live in a personal and eternal relationship with the God who created you because of what Jesus did on the cross in paying the penalty for sin that belonged to you and me. He took care of it on the cross and then God by his power raised him from the dead to prove that he could deliver this gift of eternal life and free us all who respond to him, uh, free us from death and separation, eternal separation from our creator that God does not want. He does not want that. So you'll see a QR code on the screen. If you scan that, there's a form that comes up to give you, a, give you the opportunity to, uh, to, to let us know that you made that commitment to Christ today. You told God that you, you want him to be the, the forgiver of your sin, the leader of your life, and you're choosing today to be a Christ follower, to begin to follow him in the way he's created you to live and in who he's created you to be. Father, I pray for everyone making that decision right now. Help them as they step across that line of, uh, of faith and, and immediately, by your grace, are welcomed into your eternal family. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, 
and the hope that we have in him of eternal life with you in your heaven forever. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.